Welcome to Grit and Gravitas with Anne and Annie, bringing you savvy, spirited stories of success. We're excited to deliver 30 minutes of inspiration, impact, and goodness. We'll be bringing you guests and friends from around the country who have very special work and personal journeys. I'm Ann Dieter Gallagher, your co-host with Annie Carnathan, and this is Grit and Gravitas. Let's go. Annie Carnathan, I'm super excited. We have an in-person guest in the Grit and Gravitas podcast studio. So not powerhouse. Yes, not that we don't love every remote guest we do because we've got another one coming up. But in person, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Is just so uh, the chemistry is no substitute. Hard to replicate. No substitute, especially meeting for the first time. Having that energy, having the eye contact, extraordinary. So savvy, spirited stories of success. Uh, Susan Robinson Fructal. Did I say that right? Very good. Very good. (laughs) I'm trying to get the accent right. Uh, Welcome to Grit and Gravitas. Thank you. Great great to be here. I appreciate it. Super excited to hear your story. Thanks for making time for us in uh, what is a busy Workday, and you are director of major gifts, yes. director of development. That yeah, yeah, director there. of major gifts, or a lot of people refer it to as a major gift officer for Penn State athletics, particularly. I mean, we're hired by the um, division of um, development and alumni relations at Penn State. Great. But we we really work for athletics, and uh, obviously, it's as as people will learn, it's very dear <laughs> to my heart. Well, we are Penn State uh, fans of you name it. So it could be basketball, football, wrestling, hockey. Um, yeah, we we bleed the blue and white as well. That's great. So we're excited. We see the Nittany Lion. Uh, you're you're doing Very the whole personal polished. branding. Yeah, the co-branding. <laughs> and we want to hear. Um, and you you got ahead of us, which was awesome. Sending us some of your background and some setbacks and comebacks and. Uh, milestones in your life, and certainly, as as our listeners know, we um, try to inject several business vitamins throughout our thirty minute plus conversation because it's our show and we can really make it as long as we want, right, Annie? That's exactly right, <laughs> and we do. Yes. So the minute you walked into the office, I thought I need a box to stand on for our group photo here because clearly I am, you know, the shortest in the room. But uh, you have gravitas the minute you walked in the room. So just a grace and a presence about you. I'm excited to hear more about your your story and excited for our listeners to hear more about Susan's uh, journey through um, college basketball and then on to coaching and now with your role with uh, Penn State. So can you give us a little background of, you know, your high school and then uh, your foray into college basketball? Yeah, so real quickly, I grew up in a tiny, tiny town in West Virginia, about an hour southwest of Morgantown, which is the West Virginia University area. Um, My high school class was like 75, I think, 75, 80. That was my graduating class. And uh, while we were very successful... Uh, basketball-wise, track and field, you know, it was still, I think we had, a lot of us had kind of like chips on our shoulder because people, 
you know, would maybe question, well, nobody has come out of there that went on to... I have a chip on both. There you go. (laughs) I identify. Uh, You know, went on to, you know, what people would consider big things. So I got recruited at an early age by many institutions and uh, but chose to go, you know, to the Nittany Lions. Great. I, I, I had a great visit there. The program was was really good and the fan support in rec hall the the uh, arena that we played in during it's that just time like a historical setting yeah. it is it's, it's you know fashioned after the palestra in philadelphia so many people would be familiar with that and right. if you haven't been to rec hall uh, now it's volleyball wrestling mm-hmm. gymnastics it's just awesome um you know as well as our other facilities but i had a great career you know it was but it i was told that you know, you'll go there and be a small fish in a big pond. Um, and while, yes, in a lot of respects, that's true, um, I didn't want to be afraid. I didn't want to be afraid to take that opportunity. Great. And my coaches and um, family and a lot of mentors and supporters really said, you know, go for it. And I knew how hard I worked. So I think once, um, you know, my confidence always came from being prepared. And that's um, whether it was a player, a coach, uh, now uh, what I'm doing as an athletic director, now as a major gift officer, I have to be prepared, uh, then I'll be more confident. Well, that's actually, we're going to start with the business vitamin, because I think we've talked about that in the past, but whether it's um, your your avocation or um, your current business coming to the table and being prepared is really will set you up not only for confidence, but for success. So the more in the media, we, we have to do, as we talked earlier, talking points and we do preparation. It's not an advantage for me to come anywhere unprepared. So uh, that was great. As a young lady, you knew that going into Penn State. Yeah. And that's something your my coaches, honestly, you know, they drill, they drilled into me and us and my teammates of detail. Um, when I got to Penn State, I mean, I thought my high school coach was detailed and he was really good he was a teacher I mean he was a teacher by vocation but he really knew how to break things down and simplify it and then build it up well when I got to college my coaches were I mean that times a hundred a thousand <laughs> the details so we really learned how to um even as college students teach the game right. and um to be prepared you know, to you better not go into a, a, a game unprepared because you're setting yourself up for uh, failure and and just not the best success as possible. And I carried that with me. I think I've carried that with me my whole career. And to amplify, and I think Susan, that's the seed of the imposter syndrome, where you get there and you think, "Whoa, this is too." big for me. I'm from all sort of the obstacles. I I shouldn't be here. I'm going to be exposed when all you did was say, Hey, I'm here. And I try to tell everyone in business, every woman, particularly, it doesn't matter how you got the opportunity. It doesn't matter how it matters when you're there, what you do with it moving forward. And so the the self doubt, the imposter syndrome can't set in. Yeah, so so true. Now I I was really fortunate, and which you know I think a lot of people are not. I, I look back and I had I have had still have such good mentors. That's great. Um, not just coaches, 
it was a lot of the women at Penn State who are no longer with us, they've passed, that were the pioneers. You know, Title IX's 50th anniversary is this week. Oh, wow. June 23rd, uh, 50 years of the passing of Title IX. But these, a lot of these women, and there were men, um, who really push um, the envelope in not just asking but demanding things. And Penn State was really ahead. Uh, it'll be, in, I think, in two years, it'll be 60 years of women's sports at Penn State. So a little bit ahead in some respects, and it's something to celebrate. Uh, you know, we're not, of course, all there yet. And there's still a lot of battles, but I'm so thankful for those women and men who came before me to fight those battles. It's definitely a journey, but I think where you are now from a totally objective perspective, you are exactly where your life and career journey led you. Yes. It's, it's extraordinary to me. That's just me looking in. And every single thing you've done brought you to this position and this moment. And we can all say there's some serious sort of forks in the road. Really, U-turns, you, you, you left turns, like where did that come from, right? But do you feel that way in terms of the preparation of your career to bring you exactly where you are today? I, I really do. It's interesting. You know, um, your mission in athletics at Penn State is to prepare student athletes for a lifetime of impact. I, I am a living example of that. I really believe that. Um, you know, as a student athlete coming and then staying there to coach. Uh, for several years and then, you know, going to other places to coach as well. And then being in college athletic administration, it, it's come full circle. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we left um, state college in 2007 and just moved back in 2020. And it's really come full circle to be in this position because it's so much about, it's really all about relationships mm -hmm. and the relationships. I'm so proud and fortunate that I've, I think one of my strengths has been to stay connected right. to many people, whether it's former players, coaches, mentors, networking, donors, alumni, fans of Penn State. I really have stayed connected and not – I never wanted to do it because it would get me something other than just joy and the relationships, and I – I really appreciate the, those things. And that's the connection in life. We call them connections now. They're relationships. Yes. And it's why it matters to all be sitting together in a room, you know, face to face. And life is about interacting with people, you know, to the most meaningful way. But this is a relatively new position. Or is it you are the first in it? It, uh, no, this is not a new position okay. there at but Penn newer State. To you. Yeah, I just came back. I just went back to Penn State in December of 21. So um, I was, I had been at St. Francis University as the director of athletics. I had coached there uh, back in the mid 2000s, went to Providence College to be the women's head coach there. And then was asked to come back to St. Francis in 2016 as the director of athletics. You know, not many women uh, at 
ADs all around the country, definitely not many at Division One. So St. Francis is 100%. Division One. Sandy Barber yes. at, at Penn State. Yep. Small school, but Division One. And, you know, they, I really understood the culture there. And I think ultimately that's why they asked to come back because it's not your typical path to go f- from coaching anymore to an AD, particularly at a university. Yeah. That, that used to be like 20, 30 years ago. Not the path now. However, in terms of fit, values, cultural, understanding, institutional knowledge, that's a key thing that can help you be successful. And the relationships. I had a relationship. Um, the president of St. Francis was on my search committee. He was not the president at the time when I was hired as a coach. He was a faculty member. Uh, the AD was a mentor of mine. He is a Penn State guy. Bob Cremel was um, the swimming coach, swimming and diving coach, swimming coach at Penn State when I was a student athlete. Then he went into athletic administration. Then he retired and became the AD at St. Francis. So all those so connections. Had, yeah. Crucial relationships. Just, yeah. The support. Relationships. And, um, but I, you know, uh, I don't want to say I, I lost my way, but I feel... There was a transition, and I just went through a transition that started in, I guess, 2018 when I look back at it, mm-hmm. not knowing it at yeah. the time, and that's what's really led me back to Penn State. So a transition out of coaching as well. Well, yeah, I transitioned out of coaching in 2016, and I wasn't really planning on that right. at that time. Still pretty young, still had a few years on my contract. However, they they called and asked me, I I wasn't applying, um, so I, I'm very grateful for that. And I just, it was something I couldn't pass up. You know, you have opportunities that yep. come up and you 100%. just say, I, I should not pass this up. And I clearly remember um, my husband and several of my teammates said, okay, Suze, if you're going to do this, you know, you're probably not going to go back to coaching. Are you prepared for that? Yeah. And not that you couldn't, but it is a little more difficult yeah. once you get out of it. I once said, she off-sramp. Off ramps. Off ramps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, but I was, I was prepared for that, and I thought it was just really what it was meant to be and what was the right thing to do. Again, my career and relationships had prepared me for that. And so I went. Um, but in 2018, November of 2018, we had an issue with our women's basketball program. I was the AD. Um, general counsel called me on my way to work. And if you ever had... To That's work it. with general yeah. counsel yeah. and, you know, and I knew something was up, right? Uh, and he said, well, we need to meet when you get on campus. And uh, and I could I could just sense it. Sometimes Ruh-roh. I could just sense of, like, they're going to ask me to and coach. And this is at St. Francis. Yeah. Yes. So as the AD, I said, I said to myself, they're going to ask me to coach. You know, this is, I don't know what's going to happen exactly. So by the end of that meeting that day, uh, that's what happened. And on Friday, I was on a bus with the team wow. to Liberty University. Yeah. And I thought it would be a temporary, literally, you know, but it ended up being the entire season. I was exhausted physically. <laughs> Usually as a coach, you're tired. Right. And then the summer or whatever you off season, yeah. you rejuvenate, recharge, get ready for the next academic year. I got to September of 19 and I did not feel it. <laughs> I did I was I was no longer coaching cuz we hired somebody. Right. But I was still exhausted 
And then there were just other things. I think I was, uh, you know, I, I, I did a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of soul searching, as you would call it, a lot of talking to. I worked with, you know, life coach a little bit just to start trying to dive into that, that transition and, you know, kind of reaffirm of it's just a transition, like you're okay. But a big change. Big change, because I wasn't sure. And you had fought so hard for it. Yeah. But I felt like I was, um, I think when it comes down to it, uh, at the, probably at the crux is I was hurried. I was living a hurried life versus just a busy life. That's my question. And then you, and then you miss <laughs> well, things. You have to ask him. Because so the I, essence, I, I, the <laughs> essence, I was fascinated by this. What is the essence of the difference between hurried and busy? Yeah, I think busy for me is busy and you're energized by it. You're actually fulfilled. Yeah, you're, you're fulfilled and you look for a little bit more or more of the same you know, whatever that is, work, events, um, you know, going to meetings mm-hmm. and everything where hurried is you feel like you cannot fit it in. You're just careening from yeah. one thing and to the next And then you become stressed. like a jack of all trades and a master of none. And some people probably really thrive in that too. I got to a point looking back where I just didn't feel totally fulfilled and while I think I was doing some really good things as an AD and holding up that flag, you know, as a female, right. at the same time, I miss, I also missed a lot. We, um, I don't have any children. My teams were always my kids oh, and yeah. I poured out and I was doing the right thing. Um, but you know, you miss a lot of things with your families, your extended families. And Tremendous then, sacrifice. And then just, um, just the whole not ever getting enough rest to then feel like you can be your best. Well, and you, you, uh, in some of our notes back and forth, you mentioned that. And I think that's so important for everybody. I think COVID exposed some of those challenges that we, I'll just say as Americans, especially American women are not getting enough, you know, rest in the evening. We are not, um, off screening. We're not shutting down. And I think that does lead to a sense of, you know, hurriedness and busyness and just feeling like I'm, I'm on a hamster wheel and I'm never going to get off. Sure. That. But I think that's so important for our physical bodies is to understand that and just shut out. So walk us through some of your work-life balance, you know, uh, sure. Practices that you've learned or what has worked for you. Yeah. So in, like you mentioned, COVID really exposed. Yeah. So COVID, I think also like in a good way brought to light, some of the things that I had done in the past, but then maybe definitely did not do enough of. Right. You didn't stick to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a very disciplined person. You, you know, as a student athlete, I could literally go in the gym and shoot on my own for an hour, two hours, and stay focused. Right. We did not grow up in with social media, so I don't know what I'd be like uh, if you know if. But I could literally go in, practice was not a problem of staying focused, whether it was two hours or three hours. As a coach, it was the same way. Um, But COVID really forced me to look at some things. And um, I'd always, I'm a sleeper. 
uh, my teammates and friends joke affectionately, <laughs> I think, that, oh, don't call Susan after 10. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. That's really good, though. It, even still today, pretty much, my body starts yeah. shutting down. And now I used to need 10 hours, you know, when you're younger. Now it's seven. Uh, if I get seven, I'm great. Um, I think that is, um, I think sleep is really underrated. I think it's starting to come into light more uh, with student athletes and the research that's out there because your brain just does not function as well. Well, and it's healing when yeah. when we sleep, when we give our body a time of rest. Yeah, so that's a big thing for me. I try to get plenty of rest. But fitness and wellness is, have always been uh, just a good habit. I like, I need to, I prefer to work out in the morning. I like to sweat and that gives literally endorphins. I mean, there's also research there. Did you focus there. more on that during COVID or share more of that with... I. You I'm know, sorry. Uh, I've, leaders or yeah. teams or I've always worked out. I've never had a problem of working out. I think my workouts have been a lot more effective. Definitely um, ate better. Mm-hmm. You know, ate better because again, when you're hurried, you grab right. things that aren't the healthiest um, with travel and all of that. So I like to cook. Um, I do like to cook. So done a lot more of that yeah. during COVID. Uh, I think the big thing even in the last year is I'm trying to get things done during the week versus on the weekends. So if I don't have... That's a great business vitamin. Yeah. Too. So if we don't have... Like in the fall, we'll be extremely busy on football weekends, okay, at home, for home games, which you just prepare for right. that, right? But now we don't have a lot of events on weekends. So literally, I like to have one day on the weekend where I have no agenda, no events, no meetings, nothing really planned. And then we can plan as we see yeah. fit. Um, you know, a nap might be in store or just sitting on our, the, the, we have a new, we have a new house and we picked a house design, um, intentionally with a big porch, front porch. Oh, so we great. do that. So glass, of, so good. glass of wine, you know, now you relax really are in our yeah. inner circle, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Um, but those types of things, but I feel like getting, trying to get as much done as possible during the week. So when I do have weekends off, it frees up that time. And it has been a big, I, it's almost like I was shocked how, it's probably a mental health boost, how, how it brought renewal Mm -hmm. and like working from, um, working from rest versus the mentality of resting from your work. I know it's kind of the same thing, but if when you think about it, big difference. Working yeah. from rest, um, that's what I have tried to focus a little bit more on. Can I pivot? Yeah, I'm going. Absolutely. I want to go back to <laughs> yeah, this obsession, right? So development to me, and you may disagree, is a euphemism for sales. Uh, there's a million of them, right? I'm a I'm a salesman with pride. Um, <laughs> And a very good one. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and so, so Universal was an ins- you know a privately fun- founded company, and when I got there, it was perfectly fine without me. And when I hear your story, and I think of Penn State, legacy, inst- school, institution, just I revere Penn State, and. For you to know the inner workings of that 
and all the different things you mentioned, that's the story. And we all need to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And I just keep coming back to how you're asking people for money. Money changes Lots everything. Of money. Big money. Lots of yeah, big, big money. money. Right. Big money. Yes. And I think to ask for big money, that's that's an indication of how you feel about yourself. That's just what I've always thought. People really confident, know who they are from uh, the right intent. Ask for big bucks Mm -hmm. that I'm worth it. This is worth it. This is why I'm here. So almost the story becomes your mission. And that's why I think landing there with that infrastructure of the story and the support and the people. So, and you keep, you keep layering all this. And now all of a sudden you're not selling anything. You're telling the story and motivating people to say, that's a fun, I want to, I want to commit to that. So do you ever look up and look in the mirror and go, who would have ever thought I'd be a salesman? Uh, I guess yes and no. I mean, coaching, right, right. the recruiting piece of coaching is you're selling your program. You're selling your philosophy. Constantly. You're selling, you know, how hard you work in practice. You're selling your schedule. You're selling going to the in-state tournament. You're selling going hopefully to a Final Four. Um, you're selling your institution, of course. You're selling all your locker room, everything. So I've done that my whole life because um, right. you're right about that. But it is so much more. Like I, I look back and like I mentioned before, I, I am one of the people that I am the story. I would have never went to Penn State. Um, not that we were poor, but I would not have went to Penn State, out of an out of state institution, uh, educationally, if it were not for my gifts and then getting a scholarship, you know, full a- full athletic scholarship, which is tuition room fee I didn't I came out with zero debt um and very very grateful for that so what we're doing like we obviously just don't raise money for scholarships that's a big piece of it facilities is a big piece you know bricks and mortar has become increasingly more of a piece because everything's more expensive and all of that endowments just don't cover it all but the power of story it's not just your chronological story. Right. It's not just, I did this, I did this, I did this. It's not a resume. Right. It's, it's not a it's, list. It's who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. Who, it's who you are as a human being. That's why I'm so in awe of We this. just had a uh, recent event uh, at Salvation Army, and we honored Micah Parsons. So we were very blessed to have uh, Coach Franklin join mm. us. Greatest well, nice. salesman in the world. You want he's, to talk about He's excellent. Most yes. dynamic, just... Great, great. Yeah, very dynamic. Very dynamic and just a tremendous... Talk about, like, you personify what you're doing. To me, he personifies what oh. he's doing. And oh, people he's, go, a, he's a coach. How could they pick this school and not that school? I said it's all about the connection, the chemistry, yeah. how you feel when you're in front of someone, and that can't be manufactured. Right. That's not a sales pitch. No. You're no. living the story. You're living it, and it's real impact. And I think for us as a, you know, as gift officers in development, we are trying to get people to, who've had a great experience. I mean, most of them are alumni, not all are. We have many friends who are very generous and love Penn State, as you guys have talked about. Um, but it's trying to get them to understand the impact and the relationships they can have 
you know, de- that are deeper well, Kim, and, and more yeah. meaningful. Absolutely. We talked about Kim Hortensio Nielsen, a very dear friend of mine, and she uh, has several athletic scholarships. Mm-hmm. And what she uh, takes away from that is meeting these mostly young men. They're, they're young wrestlers. I'm not sure if there's a football scholarship involved, but meeting them and their families and hearing firsthand, sitting next to them at a dinner, what that investment, you know, it, it was far more than a check. And what it meant to that young person's athletic career, and then future, they'll come around and say, I'm "Changes their life, oh, like, it changed, yeah. like it changed Susan's to absolutely. go there from West Virginia." Absolutely, yeah. We, you know, one of the best events we do as an athletic department with the Nittany Lion Club, which is the unit I'm in right. for athletics, is the endowment brunch that we do. We did an endowment brunch. Sometimes it's a dinner. We do it. Maybe on, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. With it Canada. is. It's she on, had me at brunch. Yeah. It's on blue, <laughs> blue, white weekend. Yes. Um, yes. But we invite the, so they get assigned a student that they're supporting with their scholarship dollars each year. And then we have that student athlete come and sit with them at the brunch yeah. or dinner, uh, you know, to introduce themselves. And, and sometimes they don't always get the same, student athlete for four years. Um, there's some NCAA rules and things we need to follow and be mindful of, but it just gives an opportunity to see the impact that you have and to know that those student athletes are so, so um, grateful and they voice that to our alumni and, and donors is really tremendous. No, Very high a, touch. That's a gift, yeah. Yeah, that's the moving part of it. Absolutely. Uh, to see that come to fruition. Now, do you want to share, uh, if you would, one or two of your... We've talked about setbacks and comebacks. Uh-huh. And so at first blush, people will say, you know, Susan just... She had this great opportunity. She was prepared. Uh, she met the opportunity with abandon, succeeded, went on to coaching, athletic director. What were some of your, you know, challenges or setbacks that you were able to overcome? Yeah, well, I think just uh, losing in general. So, <laughs> and that started freshman year. So when I went into Penn State, they were good. They were ranked in the top twenty. Susie McConnell Serio, who two-time Olympian, mm-hmm. point guard from Pittsburgh, graduated in spring of '88. I came in in the fall of '88, so did not play with Susie. Um, so, but it was basically rebuilding. By the end of my freshman year, we started four freshmen and a sophomore. So we, and I hate to say it, but we were the first team at Penn State of my head coach's um, tenure, which was Rini Portland, her tenure to not go to the NSA tournament. Uh, it hmm. was not a, a good time. It was not, <laughs> it was not a good time. We were devastated. I mean, yeah. you know, and looking back, it wasn't just the coaches were devastated. Right, we were right. madder than hornets, as they would say. We were so upset because we knew we worked hard. But you know what? We stuck together, mm-hmm. and that was such a big thing. And then how by- did you channel that? Yeah, because it, it could go one or, of two ways, absolutely. right? Bitter or yeah. I mean, one thing that was really fostered in our program was you better be close, like, Good. and not in a bad way of yeah. like, but you need to be like sisters. You know, and you need to have each other's backs. You should be in each other's weddings. That's how close you do you win as a team and lose That's as a awesome. team. That's right. And there's a, a freezer, right. a fracture in the team when people start to voice anything other yes. than that. There's a systemic breakdown. Right. 
Uh, we ran a lot, not going to lie, um, as most teams do. That's nothing yes, new, really. Indeed. So, you know, when you go through something physical, mm-hmm. uh, like hard times, yeah. you do build this bond that is, to me, unbreakable, which is cool. Uh, hard at the time, but really great later. And by junior year, we were ranked number one in the country. Wow. We beat Virginia with Dawn. That's a comeback. Dawn Staley go. and I were the same year. So we played UVA every year, not in the same conference, but we played them every year. It was a great uh, matchup, and we beat them at the buzzer. Oh, wow. My junior year at their place, and they were ranked one. I think we were ranked fourth. So we went. We didn't stay. It was for a few weeks, but... That was a big comeback, and all the big. hard work, you know, big. for two years to get to that point, and then to so go from, uh, as my coach just said, from the outhouse to the penthouse. <laughs> and talk <laughs> about the trajectory of Don Staley's career. Oh, absolutely incredible! Yeah, Don is a I, you know, I think for all of us players and coaches, we're so proud of her um, because now she is a, the voice. Absolutely. Stands up for so many things she wouldn't have to. That's right. And, you know, we've, you know, we've lost some voices. Pat Summit, Kay Yao, uh, you know, Muffet, McGraw is still around, um, Gino. So there's still plenty there. But Dawn is carrying. The torchbearer. She's carrying the torch. That's exactly right. You know, we, we, we all need it. The game needs it. And. You know, she's a role model. Talk about grit and gravitas, which um, that's it, Ann Gallagher. Wait, I have another question. Okay. (laughs) And because it's our show, we can do that. You go, girl. (laughs) So I want to touch quickly, Susan, on the point. Women uh, women in professional circles, and this is kind of a business lens, um, we sometimes get a bad reputation that we don't help each other. Mm. So there are either queen bees, if you would, that once they ascend to a C-suite position or executive leadership, like they may just as well kick down the others who are trying to ascend mm-hmm. on the ladder rather than lend a helping hand. We haven't personally experienced that, and hence the show is we don't know who you are and where you are as women in your high gear ascension, but we... We believe you can learn from us and maybe not make some of the mistakes we made and and come back stronger. Uh, What were your experiences that now as a team on the basketball team, clearly you must have had different personalities and different backgrounds. Uh, How did you create that sense of unity and how have you been able to make sure that that um, really spills over into your professional life as well? So, um, You know, challenging times, of course, like going from, you know, what we considered the bottom. It was not the bottom. I mean, we did actually did not have a losing record. But again, it's all relative, right? Right. Um, We just, you know, it was a time where we spent as much time off the court together as we did in the gym, you know. And I really, you know, appreciated so many of my teammates and still do and have stayed in touch with almost all of them. That's great. Uh, most of them through the years. And they're my go-to people, you know, like some have your, uh, I mean, my college roommate was my teammate and we are, you know, best of friends. I have, I have so many. Uh, and I also got to see different, like you said, different personalities, different cultures. So mm-hmm. there were two in particular 
teammates that I would go to Pittsburgh. They grew up in inner city Pittsburgh. You know, me, I came from a small town with not much diversity. Um, so I would go home in the summer with them and stay for like a week. And it really opened my eyes. But I'm so glad I was open to that and they were open to that and learned so much from them and still learning from them. And you probably learned a lot of commonalities, correct? Absolutely. Like you learn not... more common ground. Right. You learn more about your common ground than you do your differences. And that's ultimately so, you know, with all the issues going on in the world that we all face, um, it's just so good to still have them like my sisters, like to call and say, or them vice versa. And now it's become former players right. that I coach that are now, a lot of them are now coaching uh, at some That's level. Great. And so that mentoring on the other end, for me uh, in that aspect, I welcome it and really appreciate that connection as well. Oh, that's awesome. So now, now I really am going to end with one last statement, Annie. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned the notes, one of your business vitamins, uh, in addition to being prepared, and that's, that's what creates that sense of confidence, was be an ideal team player. Mm -hmm. Can you just end our phenomenal session here with that? Explain a little bit about what, what that means and how listeners might be able to apply that. So always been into um, being a great teammate. Again, that was really uh, demanded of us. Mm -hmm in college and I'm so glad it was. And, you know, just, so I took that into coaching. That was one of the things that I really wanted to continue in coaching in terms of teaching my players how to be great teammates. What, what does that mean? You know? And then I think going into away from coaching and now, you know, in the unit I'm in, I wanted to work with people that are great teammates. No situations ever perfect. I get it. Um, However, I, t I took that exact terminology, you know, the ideal team player from a book, Patrick, Patrick Lencioni, who's a business, yeah. a business guy. Um, but he wrote a book called the ideal team player and he, it's a fable. It's written as a fable, but it talks about really what the three things he thinks. And I really agree with them is, um, they're not in any particular order, but hungry. So you have to have a work ethic. You need to be hungry if you want to. Uh, achieve your goals you need to be humble you know every no one I don't know if there's anybody that really likes to be around someone who's not humble or the you know arrogant <laughs> you just don't I know I don't enjoy being around those kind of people uh, who always talks about themselves and what I did and and all of that uh, or they're never wrong you know and then the third thing is smart with people which I think goes with being humble is it's not it's not smart knowledge. It's what kind of relationships do you build? Are they genuine? Are you intentional? I do think the being humble is the most important. If I would, if I was hiring somebody, which I have hired as an AD, I hired and fired many people. Um, not always, you know, I did not always enjoy that for sure. Um, but trying to, you know, discern, like, what are they going to be like when it gets tough? Are they going to be more about themselves or more about the team and the collective and collaborating? And I think that's, um, you know, having humility about yourself, no matter what you've done, is has more of an effect on other people. 
Great takeaway. To be a superb teammate, you have to be selfless. Yes. And it's literally selfless. Less. Yeah. And it's Thanks. myself less than everyone else. I'm a giver. I take the most amount of gratification giving. And it's just like fearless. I fear, but I do fear less. Right. It doesn't overwhelm me. It doesn't, you know, deter me. And so that is really what the essence to me is of the best teammate is that there's the sacrifice in, in wanting everything for yourself. It's selfless. And that's what I think we're trying to manage to and amplify because a team is better than any one individual on it. Oh, in, indeed. Uh, in, unequivocally. So uh, simple, not easy. <laughs> get there. I love the takeaways. So to be an ideal team player, which can <clears throat> really be applicable to a sport for young people, young listeners, uh, anyone in mid-career that is transitioning or, or trying to uh, rise the ranks in their in employment, being an ideal uh, workmate or team player is, is being hungry, being humble, and being smart with people. So I love those three. Almost this whole, uh, it almost has a military vibe as well. When you talk about team uh, sports and mm. stuff, you really, it's, it's one for all, you know, you, uh, as you work together. It's a, a very similar, I think, um, work ethic as the military has. Yeah, I think, I mean, I didn't come from a military family, um, but I think, um, you know, pretty many coaches have said it, but there's one saying that sticks out to me too is basically you know when you to achieve something great as a team you you have to get over yourself yeah. individually and then put that the team's uh, goals and commitments ahead not that you don't have your own you need your own right. too to make the whole great the parts then will make the whole great uh, but you do need to if you really want to achieve all that you can are capable of achieving then if you put, you know, if you put yourself less than mm -hmm. the whole, then you will have a much better shot at achieving the things that you want to, want, want to achieve. Amen. And you'll win then. Yeah. Yeah. Winning becomes a byproduct. <laughs> that's the reflection, yes. right? Of, of, of winning and maybe a, a team broken down that isn't. Right. Yes. Yeah. So Annie Carnathan, just like that, I think we might have inched over like into our or second by half a football hour. field, but yeah. it's all good. <laughs> we never wanted to end. Yes. So Susan Robinson Fructal, thank you so much for visiting. Uh, you're in a, a group of Penn State fans here, so we appreciate all you've done, and um, excited to see you. You know, attract more support for Penn State student athletes and the institution in general. So thank you. Have a high gear day. Thanks for listening. It's our desire that these stories will bring energy, ideas, and fresh thinking that you can use today. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram and have a high gear day.